0: There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends,
1: both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host,
0: Gino Retta hey hockey fans welcome to the 7-eleven podcast i'm your host gino retta there are so many great players who played this great game of hockey over the past few decades players who made an impact not only on their teammates and fans but on the sport of hockey itself the 7-eleven overtime podcast takes pride in catching up with some of those players, sharing some of their great stories and finding out where they are now and what they're up to. On this week's show, we're joined by a legend who played 22 seasons in the NHL, 21 of them with the Devils, three Stanley Cups, five Eastern Conference championships, two Olympic gold medals with Team Canada in 2002 and 2010, widely regarded as the greatest goaltender of all time. And in 2017, he was elected into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Martin Brodeur joins us. Marty, welcome to the show, my friend. Great to see you again.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door. Almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty nine, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. So, Roberto Luongo going into the Hockey Hall of Fame this weekend. You just happen to have
0: some somewhat... A related paraphernalia from when you got inducted. Can you give our fans a little brief scan of the the jersey behind you there?
2: Oh yeah, that's <laughs> my. <laughs> it's in my back in of my office here. Um, that's
0: beauty. The,
2: the day after, uh, the day after I got inducted, uh, they had a ceremony at the at the rink here in the Financial Center in Newark, and uh, they kind of presented me that jersey. So it's kind of nice now. It's kind of nice, nice little uh, thing for my for my office here
0: when you were a kid playing the game and initially you were a forward so we'll talk about that shortly did you ever i mean you would have imagined raising the stanley cup you would have imagined making the save that won the game there's so much stuff you would have imagined but would you ever have imagined one day hockey hall of famer yeah.
2: you know when you're when you're young and uh, you just want to play the game you know that's yeah. such a fun game you know, play street hockey uh, go skate at the park uh you know play on your organized team and you just wanted to play hockey obviously uh you know watching growing up watching the, the Montreal Canadiens uh you know pretty st- storied franchise with all the the Stanley Cubs they won and my father uh, worked for them so I was kind of pretty lucky to, to have a really an inside look at the organization and uh but to me it was just to try to make it one day you know uh, i think where uh, i think everything kind of helped me a little bit is uh even with Patrick Waugh, you know Got, got in the seat in Montreal, uh, you know, won the Stanley Cup, and you're like, wow, he's French Canadian, just like us, like, and he's making it big time. And so that made us believe, uh, and you know, obviously, the, the rest is, is history, but uh, no, all of the Hall of fame never, <laughs> I didn't even know that existed anyway.
0: <laughs> You'd skirted by the fact that your dad worked for the organization, he's one of the great, this is one of the great stories of all time. I'll get you to tell it. Uh, your dad not only worked for the Habs organization, but he also played for Canada at the 1956 Olympics and won a bronze medal with them. Give our audience a background of of your dad's playing career, and then what he did with the Habs, and how that got you hanging around the team.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I was fortunate. I grew up in, in the you know sports family. Uh, you know, my big brother played uh, played baseball for the, the Montreal Expos uh, farm team uh, back in the day, and my dad obviously played for uh, for Team Canada uh, back then it was uh, the winner of the Allen Cup uh, that represented the uh, the country it was all amateur players and uh, in 1956 he was able to win a bronze medal as a goalie uh, and uh, you know for me grew up you know with his jersey uh hanging like on the wall is his, his gold uh, gold medal uh, sorry his bronze medal um, so for us you know my goal was to play in the NHL never thought about playing really in the Olympics because the pros weren't Allowed to play back yeah. then when I started, and uh, so obviously when uh, the pros were allowed to go in 1998, uh, my dad was so proud. Like he was so excited for me to be uh, to be on the Olympic team, and then uh, you know he, all the Olympics that that I played in, and I played playing 98, 2002, six and ten. Uh, he was always by my side. So uh, just because he loves. That's his uh, ultimate uh, thing that he accomplished in, in in hockey was the Olympics. So uh, for uh, for us to win that that gold medal I uh, meant a lot for him, and got tons of picture of him with his jersey that barely fitted him anymore <laughs> when he took it <laughs> with his medal, and then mine when I was playing. So it's uh, good, good, uh, good memories. That's for sure.
0: We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer Martin Brodeur on the seven 11 Overtime Podcast. Uh, Something I should point out, I got to ask you how this played out. So, when you start playing hockey, your dad's this legendary goalie who went to the Allen Cup, went to the Olympics, won a bronze medal for the Olympics. You're growing up now. And so, you would think maybe you'd want to be a goalie, but you weren't. You were a forward. What did he force you out of the net initially? And then you forced your way back in, or how did that work out?
2: I, you know what? I don't know. I just, I've never thought about being a goalie. You know he's, he's never Your really dad pushed. was
0: a goalie at the Olympics how could you not think about being a
2: goalie maybe because he was a softball I didn't want to do it <laughs> uh, but I don't know I just I just went out and, and played you know I have a like a brother that's almost two years older than me and so we played a lot in street, in the street hockey and stuff like that and um, I don't know like I started learned to skate learned to play the game um, and I became a goalie just because I love the game of hockey that's the only reason not because I really wanted to be a goalie. Um, You know, somebody needed a goalie, and so it was an opportunity for me to play in two different teams. And so I did that. So, you know, thanks for my sisters and brothers to to drive me around in the two different teams on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, And the following year, like, the coach just asked me, he goes, what do you want to do? And I'm like, hmm, I was by myself. I said, yeah, I'll be a goalie. So it was a pretty big decision at uh, eight years old. (laughs) And
0: it worked out really
2: well for you. Were there times
0: in the early part of it where you thought – there's a lot of pressure on being a goalie, or did, did you just kind of absorb that and love it?
2: I absorbed that. I think, yeah, as a young age, you know, it's the people around you that put pressure on you more more than just playing the game. And so I was fortunate to have really good coaches, really good people around me to just wanted me to have fun. And again, like we were type of organization that I was getting a lot of shots. So I wasn't winning a lot, but I was, I was uh, paying my dues at the same time.
0: What's that like as a transition when you, when you make that step and you're in the NHL and you've accomplished all you've accomplished coming up, but you know, listen, there's like 600 players in the NHL, but there's only right now, 64 goalies, you know, other guys on the peripheral. So statistically the chances of making that jump is really, and in the time you played way less than 60 jobs in the NHL. What's that like when you think mentally did, is that something you go through mentally as you're coming into the league, or is that just something that happens gradually and you don't really think about it?
2: Yeah, I think it just happens gradually. I think at the end of the day, um, it's a marathon when you play hockey. Yeah, uh, for sure. If you think you're going to get drafted in the first round and you're going to play at 18 years old, now you start narrowing <laughs> the, your, your possibilities. You know, uh, when when you see the big picture and, and then you work at it, you know. It's funny. My dad I'll, always said when. I got drafted. He goes, well, you're just a number in that organization now. So make, wow. make your number, m- make your number relevant, you know? And so that's your face with only a team whenever you get drafted and that you have to make the best of it, you know? And uh, that's just the way I went through, through my career is just uh, try to be the best goalie in the team that I'm playing on right now. And that's how you move up and you move up and, you know if you get the lucky breaks and you stay healthy you know a lot of good things could happen but there's there's a lot of things that's going to happen that's why you can't really look at what's going on right now in front of you all the time because sometimes that's the hardest thing to go through you get to see see the horizon and see what what the goal is and my goal was to play in the NHL and being a starter in the NHL i didn't didn't think i was going to be the best goalie in the NHL or mo- win the most wins that that didn't yeah. even cross my mind. I think it's just a product of, of just playing the game as long as I played and the love of the game that I had. The
0: numbers are crazy, Marty. We'll get into the numbers specifically in a few minutes, but they're crazy. Do you, do you ever sit back and start to think, I mean, no one's going to touch your numbers now because no one's going to play 70 games a season in the NHL. That's not happening anymore. Guys play a maximum of 50, maybe 55 games. And that's it. Everything's done platooning. But when you, do you ever, do you ever get blown away when you actually start thinking about the numbers that are out there now?
2: A little bit, you know, I think when I, when I finished my career, like at the end of my career, a lot of people are asking me about these numbers and I'm like, well, yeah. it's kind of hard for me because I'm still playing. I'm not looking yeah. at those. Uh, but obviously when I went through in 2019, when I got inducted, you know, I got a lot of, a lot of interviews, a lot of people talked to me about my numbers. And this, this is when I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot, you know, and and you turn around. It's like, I, I always say like, you know, I, I won three Stanley Cups, but I lost two, you know, <laughs> then that these, that that's the, my thought process. It's all of the stuff that I'm pretty hard
0: on yourself, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. But Hey, that's, that's, if you want to be the best, you have to be hard on yourself, you know? Uh, but that's kind of one of those things. Like, I'm really proud. You know, I just, one thing that I, I wanted to do is to be durable in the NHL, play a lot yeah. of games. I wanted to play every game in one season and let Lou never let me do it. But uh, I came close a couple times. times, uh, but that's just the way I, I, you know, I was wired, you know, just to play as long as you can and, and uh, try to be successful.
0: No one was ever taking you out of the net. The net was always yours. Whenever you wanted it, you could have played as many games as you wanted to. There was never going to be a coach in your career that was going to say, Marty, we need you to rest up. That was never going to happen. Could you have done what you did if you were, in a, in a league right now where you at the platoon could, here's my question. Could Marty berdur have been as good today as you were then playing less hockey, or did you need to play as much hockey as you did to be as good as you were?
2: It's a good question. You know, we'll never know, but I, I fed off playing a lot of games. You know, I, I, like I said, I was really fortunate that the coaches that I played the organization I played for believed in me a hundred percent, like from the year I was 21 years old to the, when I was 40 years old, you know, and, and, uh, bad games, good games, they didn't matter for them. They saw me the same way and it just builds confidence for, for an athlete when, when people have your back all the time, uh, my goalie coach would, you know, "Oh, Marty's fine. He's fine. Let's put him right back in there, you know? And and, then that's, and that's what I wanted. So, uh, kind of minimize some of the bad streaks. You know, we all, we all have them, but more you get thrown in the fire, more you're able to deal with them. And uh that's why it's always uh, you know when when we're here in New Jersey and we see our goalies want to struggle in, like the balance of how you get these kid out of, out of these ruts, you know at times you know so uh, but for me it was to play uh, to play a lot and they let me do that. so
0: you're in hockey ops now with the New Jersey Devils, but have been for a while. Do you have any desire to coach goalies or to help teams and how to develop their goalies? Does that interest you at all?
2: Well, that's a bit – I'm not coaching. Coaching is not something that uh, is in the cards for me. I've done it with the Blues for like three months with Jake Allen, and I really enjoyed it. But I found myself working harder than when I was playing. So that just takes
0: the, away it, time from your family,
2: right? Yeah, I, at, that, at that time. But right now, like, we build this little uh, goalie department in New Jersey um, headed by Scott Clemenson. Okay. Uh We have some goalie coaches in the NHL and in, in the minors. We get uh, Anders Nielsen, That's uh, yeah. our, our goalie scout in Europe. And so we we do uh, work hard on development for for our goalies because we feel that's an important part of any organization is to build within because they're hard to get and they're really expensive yeah. <laughs> when they become free agents. <laughs> because <laughs> ask for Florida with Bobrovsky and Markstrom, and you know it becomes expensive. So you try to grow them as much as you can, and we've been doing that for two years now here, and so we're in a, in, in the start of of building that that uh, the that department.
0: As a guy, Marty, uh, we're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer Martin Brodeur and the uh, 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. As, as a guy who's been in broadcasting throughout your entire NHL career, there were some moments where I was like, oh, man, I understood the magnitude of what your game was. There's, there's a specific moment in my mind where I kind of went, yeah, this guy's, this guy's going to be one of the best in the entire history of the NHL. And I'll share that in a moment. I want to see if it's the same moment that you think. Was there a moment where you thought, I could be great in this game?
2: Well, to me, it's it's, it's winning the gold medal in Salt Lake City. Okay. Uh, you know, I had some great seeds. I want to stay in cup, obviously, uh, early on in my career, in my second year. Uh, but I think to the eyes of, of, of the NHL and, and the fan base, or probably mostly Canada, yeah. like winning that gold medal really changed a lot. Because I was always second fiddle for well, you kadameli. weren't
0: supposed to be the starter there, right? It was supposed to no, be no, I know
2: I wasn't. Yeah, Cujo started it, so yeah, but you know, I, I was always second in voting for all the awards and everything. So, I, right after the uh, the 2002 uh, gold medal game, you know, I, I won in 03, 04, 07, 08, the Vezinas. And it's yeah. funny, I was never, I was always four the goalie. and five years.
0: That's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, I was always the goalie behind, you know, behind the hockey team, you know? And I think when I got out of the bubble of the devils and and went on, on the international stage, I think that's where I felt like I really arrived for the potential that I had.
0: You mentioned this earlier in our conversation, that the fact that when your dad played, it was the Allen cup champion that went, it wasn't the best of the best of around the world. So you make that team, you end up bumping Cujo for the starting job and you guys end up winning gold the first time Canada had won gold at the Olympics in 50 years. What did that mean to you? Not only the fact that you, that you proved yourself and and made some pretty amazing stops and played some pretty amazing games along the way. What did that mean to you that it was the first time in a half century, Canada left the Olympics with a gold medal? Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, it's, it's surreal, you know, like I, yeah. I, I don't think we grasp like how long the the, Canada hasn't won the the gold medal when we were there because, you know, we're all like NHL players. We're not, nobody played in the Olympics before. So we're not historian about the hockey in the the Olympics. Uh, But obviously it was a disappointing in in 98 when we didn't bring anything back. Uh, And, you know, there was so much hype with, with, with Gretz playing on the team and it was kind of a Patrick, Wall was the goalie at the time I was backing up. Um, So it was disappointing. So obviously, Going out and, and being part of the team and obviously playing in that gold medal game, uh, and just sitting there and hearing the national anthem and kind of take everything in, uh, you know, with, with Gretz being our general manager at the time, so it was it was a surreal moment, you know. I think uh, and, and I think the, the biggest part that I thought it was so cool, so I think a week or two later, I played in uh, I played in uh, in Toronto against the Leafs, and. Uh, it had a huge uh, standing ovation for me, you know, and I was for like a visiting
0: wow. goalie,
2: <laughs> visiting goalies. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Uh, you know, and uh, y- these are things that, you know, how, what it meant. Uh, I cross paths people all the time. They knew exactly where they were when we won that game. The whole country was behind us the whole time. Uh, you know, these, these were unbelievable moments for, for myself and my family.
0: You're playing Team USA. You're up two to one you're in Salt Lake, you're going for the gold medal and you're facing Brett Hall. One of the best snipers in the history of the game. Do you remember? Oh, I, I feel stupid to ask this question. Do you remember the toe save? <laughs> what do you remember about it?
2: Yeah, Well, I remember it. It's funny because I brought it up to Holly and he said he fan on it, but that's okay. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Like it, it's, it's one of those things like you, you, you make you do homework as a goalie on, on uh, tendencies of players and I knew like the power play was coming in, and uh, I think Phil Housley kind of sneaked down the the board, and I kind of just looked, and I know Holly was just hiding himself, sitting in the weeds like he does. Yeah. That's how he scored all his goals. And uh, I just I just read the play really well, and you know I just had time to put my toe on the on the goal line by the post, and you know made that save. And from there we kind of picked up the puck, and you know we maybe a minute later we we scored to open the game up.
0: Yeah, what a difference, I man. Can you I I can't even imagine what could have happened had you not done such a good pre-scout. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's great the fact that all these years later you're still rubbing it in. And a guy who could have played for Canada
1: if he yeah, wanted to exactly. but decided to play for the Americans. Here are a couple of hot tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7 Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about, the one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now for just eleven sixty nine. order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza Add a two liter coke or pepsi for two dollars 7 is your go-to for fast delivery of slurpee groceries essentials meals snack and treats 24 7. so i
0: was i was talking about the, the moment that kind of stands out to me and it wasn't really an exact moment but rather two crazy games was the Stanley Cup final in 2000. You guys get to game five, zero, zero, triple overtime. Triple overtime. You go into that. Dallas wins the game. So you can be demoralized. You can be sitting like, I don't know, like if I'm the goalie, I'm like, guys, score a freaking goal. We'll win the game. Just score a goal. You'll hold them without a goal through regulation. The first OT, the second OT for most of the tri- triple OT. And it doesn't happen. It can be so demoralizing and crippling. And yet you take them now to double OT in game six. I don't know. I mean, my memories of you at that point, it was like, yeah, like this, this guy's insane. They're going to win the cup because this guy's just refusing to lose. Walk yeah. me through what you, what happened to you in those two games.
2: Well, I, you know, it's one of those things that, that uh, we were with we control of the series you know, and then we went out and I know they
0: score a goal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it happens. <laughs> you know, I'm not, uh, to me, it's all about winning. It doesn't matter if we win one, nothing yeah. or six, five. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it was tough. You know, obviously like everybody are, we're in New Jersey when, when that triple overtime game was, uh, you know, to win the Stanley cup and uh, to kind of had to do it again. Two days from now, you know, similar was kind of tough, but, you know we, uh, you know we were due to win it. You know we had a great team. Uh, we had great offensive team. It's just that one game. Uh, Belfort was, was was lights out. You know, and uh, you know, we m- made it happen in the uh, in the second overtime in Dallas. But it was a scary moment. You know, same thing. Like I think uh, Arnie took a bad penalty late, uh, late in the uh, the first overtime, yeah. and trickle back. So Dallas had a power play to start the second overtime. They didn't do anything of it, and. From there, we took over the game and, and scored. And Arnie, the guy that took the penalty that could have been <laughs> could have been tough on him, uh, went in and scores the uh, you know the Stanley Cup winning goal. So uh, these are they're great moments. Uh, you know, we it's funny like a couple, couple years ago or two years ago, we relived all that stuff. We had our 20th anniversary yeah. and we relived that uh, that run. So it was great.
0: I almost said, you know, look, I'm the goalie, I can't score, but well, you can. You scored three. As a matter of fact, you scored one. I think it was the Eastern conference quarterfinals, a minute left to go in the game back in 1997. Walk us through what happened, what you were thinking at that point.
2: Oh, well, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I always wanted to score a goal in junior hockey. I came close bunch of times, never was able to score one. And, uh, I don't know. It just happened like, uh, you know, we're at two goal lead usually in the playoffs or even on tight games. I'm, I'm never going to try. I'm going to make a play to just to clear the zone. Uh, but this one at two goal lead and, uh, I think Dave Mance uh, uh, dumbed the puck and he just kind of a little careless, probably not knowing who I was. I was able to play the puck. Uh, and it just kind of just happened that everybody went towards me. I was able to shoot it over everybody's head and kind of hit the empty net. So uh, that was an exciting time. Uh, Lived it uh, with the. I remember like Sean Chambers coming at me and just like <laughs> never got in a huddle to, <laughs> to score a goal, so that was funny.
0: Did you keep the puck? It was your first NHL goal. Did the ref go grab it for you and bring it to
2: you? Oh, oh yeah, I think uh, John McClain grabbed it. I thought John McClain was gonna try to touch it to go in, but he, he let it go in.
0: <laughs> oh, no, can you imagine if somebody touched the puck and took away <laughs> your goal? You would have had that a serious conversation about that. Uh, you were. Um, one of the things you were you were obviously really recognized for was, was your shutouts. I mean, you would just there are times where you would just shut things down and and nobody ever felt like they were ever gonna score on you. I remember uh oh three, you had the the shutout versus the ducks to clinch um the third Stanley Cup in game seven. Just a third goalie to record a shutout in game seven of a cup final. You had seven shutouts that year. That was an NHL record for the playoffs. 24 playoff shutouts still stands as the NHL record. I can't imagine that ever, ever being, you know, surpassed moving forward. Were there, were there times where you just felt like tonight, no one's going to score. Like a lot of times goalies go in and they'll sit in the dressing room and say, guys, you get, you get three. I won't let three in tonight, which is realistic in the modern day NHL, but it, kind of felt as somebody who watched you play that you were like, no, I'm not even giving up one tonight. Where is that? Was that, I mean, were there times where you just knew on this night, no one's beating me.
2: I mean, never before the game, but when you start playing the game, like you just felt that you're seeing everything and you feel that it's going to take like a a lucky goal to beat you, you know? Yeah. Uh, But like, to me, it was a commitment that I had in front of me for these years, you know, guys, guys played really hard in front of me um and that helps you know like goaltending you cannot do it by yourself if you have to have guys being disciplined in front of you not taking chance i mean it's easy you know when when the game is 4-1 everybody's looking for scoring goals or get get their cookie or whatever yeah but my team like we we had that discipline they say we're going to shut it down and you know what we're going to get a shutout and you know it's gonna be good for Marty. It's gonna be good for the, the you know for the team. It's not like we're we're not gonna let the team go four one four two. And next thing you know, you worked sixty minutes to to have a great game, and now because of the last five minutes, you're kind of oh we didn't play that well, you know. And, and then that feeds off for other games going forward. But you have to give credit, like. Yeah, there's some that, that listen, I could say, Hey, how was the difference? But I was most of the time it was usually, usually like a huge team effort of blocking shots and playing the right way. And like I said, Jacques Lemaire, you know, uh, was a big proponent. You know, he installed that uh, right from the get go when he became a He was a coach Mr. defensive Jersey. way. Yeah, and he just you know, he, he made us he made us good. He made us understand what it takes to, to, to win. And to win is not just to win, you know, four two, four three when you you dominate enough to win four, nothing, you
0: know, did it bother you at times that people would say, because of the way Jacques Lemaire coached it, because of some of the teams you played a, they were really good. B that they played a very, very defensive style. You mentioned this before, when you were talking about the Olympics, that maybe people didn't understand how good you were because there were some in the game were saying, yeah, he's great because he's in that system that works perfectly for him. Did that bother you to hear that kind of stuff?
2: No, I, I took pride in that more than anything. You know, like you, I know everybody talked about the trap and like people hate playing in New Jersey. Like that was our best thing when a team would after a game would complain about how we played. I mean, that means this we well, were winning. We, we came in and think about like you know we we swept ninety five like a high high octane Red Wings. You yeah. know, so for us it was just we took pride and again like I. He knew what, what type of goalie I was. So neutral zone, if we if we log down the neutral zone, that means they had to dump the puck and I was going to be able to retrieve it, make a play, and we're out of there. So, I mean, there's always rhyme and reason. Which for drove how. guys nuts. Exactly. The their ability to handle way. the puck
0: drove guys crazy.
2: Yeah, and they're saying, you know, they try to make another play, turn the puck over, it's in the back of the net. And it's just, uh, you know, we, we just cried it. And then, you know, that's, that's all it is. So I didn't really care what people thought about the way I played, or to play our the team played, we had fun playing it. You know, we had a great bunch of guys. Uh, you know, and, and we all bought into it. If you didn't, you you were you weren't a devil. So
0: you were you were one of the great puck handling goalies of all time. Was that something you deliberately worked on? I mean, there's no way that had anything to do with the fact that you were a forward in your early days because you yeah. were still just a kid then. <laughs> but was that something that you just really enjoyed doing, and you and you messed around with it? Or something that you thought was going to be an important part of your game.
2: Well, I mean, I I started uh, to realize like that it was an important part when I saw uh, Ron X play. Uh, when he's no one could rifle see- the
0: puck like he could man he,
2: he was he was unbelievable and that's at my young age that's why i started to, to shoot pucks i was in you know my garage and shooting those orange puck those heavier puck did you see
0: that- what he used to do at practices after after the teams left the ice what he would do at practice did you ever no. see that marty he yeah. would i i was a young cub reporter in the nhl when during his playing days he would sit behind the net with a bucket of pucks and fire them off the glass whenever he went into a new building. So he could see where the ricochet was and what it would like. Yeah. He'd be working. We'd be waiting there to say, we need to talk to Hextall. They're like, yeah, he's going to be out there for another half an hour. Yeah, It's crazy.
2: Yeah. But that's, that's, that's working at your craft. And that's, that's what I've I've done when I was younger at the end of the day, you could, uh, it doesn't matter how good you shoot the puck, You have to have some hockey sense. You have to yeah. be able to read uh, and and try to understand it. And, and the players that you play, they got to know what you're doing. You know, they, they got it. If if you're surprising a guy, I don't care if you make the right play, you're surprising the guy. So there's a, there's a, uh, there's a way of doing it. And we worked in practice a lot on it. Uh, It just came naturally to me, but obviously Ron Exel was one of the biggest factor why I wanted to work at it.
0: We're in conversation with Martin Brodeur, Hockey Hall of Famer on the 7-Eleven Overtime podcast. Uh, Roberto Luongo going to the Hockey Hall of Fame this year. How close were you? I know you got a chance to play with him. How close were you with Luongo? And uh, tell me a little bit about the dynamic of your relationship with him.
2: Well, we, we grew up like four streets down from each other. Um,
0: did you, did you know each other as kids though?
2: No, he's a bit, he's definitely yeah. a bit younger than me. Uh, I met him the first time when he was playing in the midget triple A for Montreal Borassa uh, I think we had a lockout year that season and, uh, or delayed one or the other, I don't remember. And uh, I went back to my midget AAA team to go skate, and that's why I skate. I went on the ice with them for the first time. Uh, we had the same goalie coach that that coach uh, myself, Luongo, Stefan Fissette, Felix Bodman. We had we all that's we a all nice cast, the, yeah. We all came in from the same area, and uh, and so Mario as he goes, Oh, you can come on in anytime you want, and that's where I, I met the roberto for the first time obviously i played with him uh the olympics and world cups and stuff like that um but i can't say i'm close with him i know him real well i think the goalie fraternity uh regardless if it's patrick or cujo or grand fuhrer you know i I don't have any of these guys phone number and they don't have mine but you know what if we see each other there's no way we're not going to stop and talk to each other for a long time that's just one of those things that that uh, when you play on different teams, it's kind of hard to get close, and I wasn't close as a young as a young player. i probably close, the closest goalie that I had was Jose Theodore. You know that's because yeah. really, we had the same again. We had the same goalie coach too. So
0: uh, it's interesting. Whenever somebody goes into the hall, like Luan goes going in now, you look back at the numbers, and we talked about you when you know people started bringing up the numbers when you went in the hall in 2018. So the NHL's all time wins record finished the career with 691. Uh, a total that's, that's crazy. No one's ever going to touch. We talked about this, about the fact that, you know, given the platooning system we're using now, it's never going to happen. Uh, how much pride do you, I mean, you got the cups, you got the gold medals, but how much pride do you do you take on the fact that very, very unlikely that anybody's ever going to touch your all-time marks? I mean, we're talking right now about will Ovi ever catch Wayne with the goals? And if it keeps going the way it goes, maybe it happens in two or three years. But I can't imagine anybody ever touching your numbers. What does that mean to you?
2: It means a lot. I think to me, you know, like the records that I have uh, are indication of of the durability that I had. You know, I played more games than everybody. I played almost more year than everybody, you know, and so obviously it adds up. And I was lucky to be a number one goalie my whole career. It was never a backup for the first two or three years. Uh I wasn't injured much. And I had a one big uh injury in my career that I missed 50 games for. Um and like I said, like we had some good teams. So when you add everything up, you know, good numbers will happen. And but to me, like the most win is, is the one that I, I take the most pride because when you when you jump between the pipes, there's only one reason for a goalie, it's to win the game. So when you have the most, it means he, he did something good. So that's just the way I see it. Do you miss anything about it? I'm you know, I'm still around the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was in St. But it's different for a while though. Now. It's
0: different being in management than it was being in the room, it, right?
2: It, it is. Well then that that's why I'm come out. I miss the guys. Like I miss just hanging out and yeah. going through the the rough patches, the good patches together to see a to see a young kid coming in, scoring his first NHL goal, uh, you know, winning our first Stanley Cup. You know, a veteran coming in, winning his Stanley Cup, his first Stanley Cup as a 30 year old. These things he can't buy. You know, you live it through your experiences when you play. But to miss it, I, I don't miss the game much because I've, like I said, I, I've played as long as I could. I hung out in there until till they kicked me out. So, But that's uh, not
0: true. I mean, you could have kept playing.
2: I could have, but you know why? Think- why
0: did you decide it was time to hang him up? Just because you couldn't be the Marty you were at the top of your game? Like how did no, you I just come didn't to that like point?
2: I didn't like sitting on the bench and practicing and okay. going out and being the, the goalie that the, you know the the spare guys are shooting at his head? I'm like I, no. I did enough in my career not to have to endure that. So that's why I decided to kinda move aside.
0: When you sit back and reminisce with with close family and friends, uh, not not fans but people that, that really are important to you. What are the things that come up in conversation that you just kind of, you you bask in the glory of some of the past achievements and stuff?
2: Well, you, you know, one thing that a lot of people, uh, my, my friends and my family, uh, bring up a lot. It's the experience I made them live through a, a mm. Stanley cup playoff run, yeah. because it's amazing how consuming it is when you have somebody that, you know, that, that's going to live this dream and you're alongside him, you know, going yeah. through that, it's kind of pretty cool for them. I mean, they wish they could have done it. Most of them never played hockey or if they, they, if they did, they never got it close to be a pro hockey player. So for them, and especially my friends from Canada, because hockey's is, that's it, what it's all about. Yeah. And so I, I hear that a lot, you know, like they thank me. so well. even though we didn't win in, in 2012, I had a bunch of new friends around, and they went, they you know, they went on the way they, they jumped on the wagon, you know, and it's funny. Like yeah. my friends, it's it's funny. You, like they're all Montreal Canadian fans to a certain extent, but when I play them, they, they're Devil fans. Just the reason is like it's one thing to root for your friend that's a forward; he scores two goals. Yeah. It's all fun and games. You, your Canadian wins the game, but the goalie, <laughs> I'm losing the game <laughs> if Montreal is winning. So I made sure these guys root for the Devils when I played.
0: That must be something so special when you think the joy that you brought. It's one thing to see the fans stand up for a state of innovation which is cool, but they're fans. But when you think of the joy you brought to really close family and friends, that must be an amazing feeling for you.
2: Yeah, it's great. It's what it's all about. You know, it's it's sharing. You know, I, I felt fortunate to, to do what I do for a living or what I did for a living. And so to be able to share it with the people that are close to you, and it means a lot to them, but it means... It means the world for us to, to you know to get supported like that. also.
0: Marty. Right, it's been great catching up with you, my friend. I'm glad you're doing so well. You got a great smile on your face. You look like you're really enjoying life. Uh, it's been an, it's been a great ride watching you, and to hear the joy you take from having shared this with family and friends that's that's amazing. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it.
2: All right, you know, my pleasure. Thanks.
0: Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, hockey Hall of Famer, Martin Brodeur. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh, 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven, pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app, and Team 7-Eleven will have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast.
1: Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.